Hello and welcome to this all new episode of Poetry Spoken Here. I am producer and technical director Jack Rossiter Munley. And very quickly before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention as always that Poetry Spoken Here is produced by Cardboard Box Productions Incorporated, a small digital production company making podcasts about poetry, literature, and cultural history. You can find out more about Poetry Spoken Here and all of the other Cardboard Box Productions podcasts at cardboardboxproductionsinc.com. And, most excitingly, Cardboard Box Productions also has a newsletter called Unboxed that you can subscribe to, and that's a great place to get more information about the poets and writers featured on Poetry Spoken Here, and the people, poems, and subjects featured on all of the other Cardboard Box shows. So again, that's the newsletter Unboxed that you can subscribe to from CardboardBoxProductionsInc.com. On with the show! I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is Mike Bernhardt from the San Francisco Bay Area, and a very interesting project brought him to us. Back in 1991, when his wife died unexpectedly, one of the things he did to respond to that, to deal with it, was to write poetry. And he found that it was useful, it was helpful. So much so that he decided to solicit poems from others who had lost someone close. He got a lot of submissions and the result was a collection called Voices of the Grieving Heart. And that was published way back in 1994. So fast forward to today, 2021, living in the midst of the pandemic, which continues to rage and he thought maybe it was time to issue the book again, but not just the way it was, but to add some things to it that would make it more useful. And so he solicited poems for responses from people who had lost someone to the pandemic. And he also went back to people who had contributed to the first edition to see what they might have to say, you know, roughly 20 years later. And I'll let him tell you exactly what he asked them in terms of uh, thinking about this thing that happened to them roughly 20 or so years ago. And that's what we're going to be getting into today. So, Mike, I'm really glad you're here. It's something that will be interesting to learn about, the project and the relationship of poetry to, to loss and to grief. And my first question is, what did you ask those people in terms of what you wanted them to to say for you or to express 20 years later? It's a, it, it, it's a good question. And what I originally set out to do uh, in terms of that section in this book was I wanted to, I, I had just read David Kessler's book called uh, Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief, which came out maybe last year. And he talks a lot about how um, in order to really move on uh, with our lives after we lose someone we love, we need to find meaning, not in their death, but in our own experience of loss. Uh, but, you know, of course, nobody is going to find a lot of meaning in someone's death, but, but we might find that. And mostly 
uh, we find meaning in, in our own losses in, in what it teaches us. And so I set out to ask people questions about that. And the questions I asked were, um, what did you learn through your loss? What do you wish you knew then that you know now? Um, what has given you meaning in your life since that loss? And how, how has it changed you? It was five or six questions like that. And the answers that came back were not what I expected because my own personal experience of loss was um, the pain is long gone for me. It was 1991, it was 30 years. In fact, I set the book launch date on the 30th anniversary of her death. It just seemed appropriate. Um, and uh, I'm remarried, I've been remarried, I've been married now for 28 years, uh, even before the first edition of the book came out. And so for me, life had moved on. In fact, I moved away from the book and everything else uh, for many years. I had a child, I started a new career. And when I came back to this book, um, something started coming up for me, but I didn't really realize what it was because I don't experience my loss as pain anymore. But what I learned from these other people was that it wasn't as easy for them as it was for me. And um, especially people who lost children had, they just continue, I wouldn't say to struggle, but they continue to feel the loss. They continue to feel the hole in their lives. Um, so it was very educational to me to realize that people don't always, uh, you know, we all in this culture, especially, we think people should eventually get over it. And uh, I think we give people far too little time. But even I, in a sense, thought, you know, okay, after 20 years, one might get over the loss of their brother or, or their, you know, their even a a child, perhaps, you know, after 28 years, maybe you think about the child, but it's not painful. Um, and that's not true. And so what I will do actually on that, on that note is there's a poem here from a woman named Rose Drew, whose daughter died, uh, I think a couple of months old from SIDS. And this was like 30 years ago. And um, she wrote this poem called Elephant. You're still in the room, the room's just larger. Years spent ignoring you or else dragging out your secret life the way a magician flourishes bouquets from milk jugs. Ta-da, now seen, then not. Enormous invisible reason for so much. And time moves on, events engulf a life. One undersized elephant gets pushed aside. Soon enough to trot you into view, remove the camouflage seems a pretty, a petty distracting trick, or at least too sad to mention. Most people prefer a laugh than to rehearse old sorrows. But you've remained, blending effortlessly in with houses and plans, constant reminder that life is too short for injustice and squandered dreams. You've always been here in a room, that's grown to dwarf you, my elephant, my mentor, my muse. It's me who has changed. Wow, yeah. You had mentioned that responses, uh, I think it's maybe it's in the introduction, that the neat little so many step process, you don't think really 
is quite accurate because responses are so individual, individualized. Yeah, um, I think I was talking about Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's stages of grief. And yeah. what I've since learned is actually in the introduction to the book that she wrote about that, she says these are not meant to be stages that we follow in order. Mm. Um, and um, unfortunately, that people didn't read the introduction. They just read the stages. Yeah. And I prefer to call them facets these days because... Um, although there's sort of a general progression maybe from, you know, the stages that she defined as shock, anger, um, I can't even remember them all, depression, yeah. acceptance. Um, there's five, I'm missing one. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, but the point is that we move from one to the other uh, in not in order. Grief is not linear. It's messy. Um, and um, you know, people can have, they can be crying, grieving the loss of, of their child, their spouse, sometimes a very long time after the initial loss. And, and it can be hard because if we believe that, oh, I should be further along now, I should be done with this. And then something reminds you in a painful way of the person who died and you, you feel it all over again. And there's really, um, there's no end to it. Um, I, it's a, it, it was a bit of a blunt answer, but David Kessler, who wrote this book, The Sixth Stage of Grief, um, he said, people ask him, how long am I going to be grieving? And he said, well, how long is the person going to be dead? <laughs> and it, it's a brutal answer, but yeah. it's, it's true for, for many, many people that we never get over it. Um, people say instead of we don't let go, we we move on with the person that we lost in a different way. Uh, something I found uh, interesting, and I guess I hadn't thought about it, like who did I expect to be the people who were being grieved? And there's such a variety. As you said, it might be a brother, uh, a child, a best friend, a grandparent. There's a, there's a really large array of uh, people that, that were written about. Yeah. Or, or responded to. Uh, were, were you, so this something occurred to me, because uh, we know everybody feels bad, but I'm wondering, were you surprised by anybody particular's kind of reaction uh, when the things came in, when you first got all those things from other people, some of whom I imagine did not have your kind of reaction? Did you, did you get any surprises there? Uh, um, I don't know if I had, I guess I was surprised really by the volume and variety of, of poems that came in. Um, I mean, you know, I, I, it's easy to look back now and say, you know, I, I, I feel like I healed, although um, this book, as I said, has brought up, not pain, but just a, re a realization that, um, that that death is still with me that it has changed me and continues to change me. Uh, I'm finding myself after uh, not caring at all about that previous life that, that now uh, I'm sort of finding myself wanting to go back and, and work with people who are grieving in some capacity, maybe not one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, maybe it's just, uh, I'm taking a class to be a grief educator. It might be just sort of in a broader yeah. scope and, and um, 
I'm talking to health professionals, mental health professionals about the book and how it can be helpful to their clients. But the, um, some of the poems were just so direct and brutal. Um, and I think those surprised me, but I loved them because the reason I wrote the book was that I needed to feel. And the reason, the reason I, I wrote my own poems and the reason I collected them was because they made me feel, they made me feel alive. They made me feel my pain in a way that was enriching and, and transformative. And, um, but, and the poems that I wrote were, um, there was a lot of pain in them, but they weren't always as direct as some of the ones I received. Um, in fact, there's one, I'll have to find it here. I wasn't going to read it, but um, um, this was a poem. This, I don't know when this podcast will air, but it's September and September is National Suicide Awareness Month. And suicide is not something I had thought about when I was uh, asking for submissions for this book. Um, I think I, I wasn't really thinking about other types of deaths. Um, and this poem, uh, I'll just read it to you. It's called How So. Doing fine, he always said. Phoned each week, just like you should on Sunday, around eight. He never forgot like some. Teaching at the college, proud. Oh, yes, I was proud. I showed pictures of the children, one named after me. She has his smile and mine. Clean bill of health, not broke or stoned or out of gas, took care of his own just fine, and even sent me violets on my birthday. How so? I cringe and shiver, slumped into that spidery corner, heart dripping blackest blood beside me, mother of a suicide. I often break up when I read these poems. Yeah, just... that was... <laughs> the, the whole book, reading the book to get ready to talk to you, I would say reading the book, uh, which is not, I don't have a big issue with this right now in life, and but it really just sticks mortality in your face. All these yeah. different ways that somebody, you know, dies, and then you remember, the, then I start remembering people who are gone. Uh, we should, let's credit who wrote that poem, by the way, who was it? Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was written by a woman named Dixie Pine. Okay. Um, okay, that's all, just want to get that in. Yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> I, did, I didn't have it on that particular document and I forgot to say it. Um, yeah, what's interesting though is, is um, as I sort of alluded to, is for me and, and for other people, reading these poems, reading the book, people think it'll be depressing reading about all this pain, but it's actually very life-affirming. Um, there's a, somebody on, on Amazon wrote a review. Uh, she's a social worker, she said, and um, she said, reading these poems was like reading love, love stories, love letters. Um, because really, you know, we grieve because we've loved. Yeah. And so really these poems are, are odes to the people that we loved. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a big part of being human. We love, people die. Um, we're mortal and we grieve the people who died if we loved them. Yeah, it's, it's strange. It's a, it, it's, it can be very life affirming to read it because it's not, uh, they're not dreary. 
Yeah, it's it's just people sharing their hearts with the world. Well, you said writing your own made you feel so in a way it made you more alive expressing yeah. expressing the truth you know as poetry does folks <laughs> yeah, yeah poetry does and it's it's uh i think for me and and for most of the people in this book if not all poetry is kind of a mirror and i i think we could say that about most poetry you know poetry kind of holds up a mirror to aspects of the human experience. And this does that too. And the thing is that sometimes it can be so hard to give words to grief because it's so big and it's so intense at times. Um, yeah. That, um, you know, I think for me to be able to give words to my own grief kind of it gave it, it gave me space from it. It gave me an opportunity to kind of see myself in a different way. But the interesting thing is that reading these poems, not just writing, kind of does the same thing. When you find a poem that reflects your own experience, uh, you may not have the words yourself because it can be so difficult to find them sometimes, but you read a poem from someone else who had a similar experience and you, you see yourself in that poem and that can kind of give you that same mirror as well as um, the sense that we're not alone in our experience and isolation is such a big part of grief. Yeah. Well, here's another question about, I guess it reflects, especially on the new edition, the COVID section. What about, <laughs> what do you have to say about the responses to uh, what you ask people about that and, and what they came back with? That was very interesting. Um, you know, I asked specifically for personal experiences of loss um, it didn't necessarily have to be lost due to COVID, hmm. but I wanted it to be experience of loss during COVID because hmm. COVID has affected far more people than just the people who've died from it and, and, yeah. and their loved ones. You know, people die from all sorts of causes, but the isolation, especially last year uh, when everything was locked down all the time. People die from all sorts of causes and the ones who are left behind are stuck in their houses with no way to find the community that's so important yeah. when we're grieving. Um, and so I had a lot of poems about that. And, and I also had a couple of poems from caregivers about their experience being in the hospital. Um, there's one here I'm gonna find for you that comes to mind. That's, uh, it's called Swimming in the Cathedral. And it's by a woman named Cyrus Sweet Dimitru. And she actually is part of a team that goes in to support caregivers in hospitals uh, with mental health care for them. Because as we all hear, you know, they're incredibly stressed out. They're dealing with so much loss and, and struggle of their own uh, in trying to take care of so many people. So this is called Swimming the Cathedral. Rings of sun glow ripple all around me as I glide underwater, listening from the wavering quiet echo of holy presence. Immersed and enfolded, I can remember now the young man in the sea green scrubs and M95 mask, mask whose eyes cast quickly about the room as if searching for another door. When the counselor asks, how is it going for you? His words tumble, tumble like waves breaking before the storm. 
gasping for air. It's the 40-year-olds gasping for air. That's when you double check everything that you do because you know if you make a mistake, that could be you beside him gasping too. Finally, I come up for air, mouth open wide as if accepting all that is placed upon the tongue. This is my life poured out for you. Hmm. It's good that you get so many different perspectives in the book. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it, that, that's what makes the book, I think. Yeah, there's another poem in that section from a physician uh, who had a patient die early in the pandemic, um, you know, when they were kind of ra having to ration hospital beds. Yeah. And the directive, the direction for medical professionals at that time was that if they seem okay, send them home. And so we had a patient come in who was there for a few hours, seemed okay. Um, and he sent the patient home and he died that night. Um, it just, the, he just could, he went home, had another attack, couldn't breathe and he was gone. And a year later, the doctor still feels guilty about that loss. He said, he'll never forget that patient's face. So there's that grief too, you know? Yeah. Well, we got about three minutes. You want to read another poem? Have you read one of yours? I'm not sure you have. I haven't read one of mine. Well, let me read um, one of yours. I mean, yeah, let me read. Actually, you know, I'm going to read one. Cool. Since we're talking about poetry, this book is called, this poem that I wrote is called In the Bookstore. Hmm. And I wrote this, I don't know when I wrote it in relation to my first wife's death, but um, I was, there, there's a chapter in here called Begin to Heal. And this section is about, it's not about um, finding the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's more about kind of uh, seeing that there's that there might be some light uh, somewhere. Um, so this book, this poem is called In the Bookstore. Wandering in the bookstore, trying, hoping to catch her eye. Ted Hughes under my arm. Will she notice I'm a poet? Watching the faces, I read poetry in the corner. A face I know, but hide from. I read creation myths, creating my own. I have been to hell and back and begin again to hope, lost in a bookstore. Uh, I like that. You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but you have faith that there's a light somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> and that there is an end to the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that catches it. That catches it. I get it. Yeah. 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 I should mention that part, another reason Mike uh, managed to get here, another factor, is that he noticed I uh, I post on the National Association for Poetry Therapy's Facebook page. I let them know when we put up new episodes of the podcast, because a lot of our podcasts, like this one, apply very directly to poetry therapy. They're about real life issues of real people uh, and the kind of poems that uh, are very much of interest to poetry therapists. Um, I don't know. Do you have any final words? Buy my book. Uh, there I, you go. <laughs> of course, you're an author. You can say that. <laughs> um, well, I will say so. my website is mikebernhardt.net, M-I-K-E-B-E-R-N-H-A-R-D-T dot N-E-T. Uh, one thing that, that listeners might be interested in is there's a page on there called Video Poems, and I've been collecting a library of 
the authors of these poems reading their own poem on video. Uh, and it's really nice. And some of them are original contributors, so they're a lot older than they were when they wrote them. But it's still, it's great. And there's newer ones. Um, it, there's nothing like hearing, hearing an author read their poem uh, in their own voice the way they intended it to be spoken. So that's there. Hey, um, I'm really glad you mentioned that because, yeah, I did notice that feature on your website. And yeah. It's just, it's an interesting thing to have the actual person reading reading their own actual poem. And that's mikebernhart.net. Pretty right. easy to remember. And when you see this on SoundCloud or somewhere, you know, down the bottom, uh, my dear son, Jack, will put that in there so you can't miss it. <laughs> Good. And, uh, yeah, and I also wanted to mention, I'm, I'm donating the, the profits from this book to a nonprofit called the Institute for Poetic Medicine. So uh, when I say that buy this book, it's, uh, it's to help people. It's not it's not so I can make a lot of money. All right. That was, again, good point. <laughs> okay, Mike, it's been great. Uh, we've done our time, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting this out there for people to hear. Folks, you're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm your host, Charlie Rossiter. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetry spoken here. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetry spoken here. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com.